Hey everyone and welcome to my show. My name is Nick Elston. I'm a leading inspirational speaker, creator of unique mental health engagement strategies, a transformational speaking coach and founder of Forging People, a community created to empower, inspire and educate people who truly want to be heard in life and in business. On these shows, I bring you the storytellers, celebrities, speakers, influencers, entrepreneurs, those who have gone from adversity to excitement, who share their stories with vulnerability, transparency, inspiration, and most importantly, completely unfiltered. So without any further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode of The Nick Elston Show. Hey everyone, and a big welcome back to The Nick Elston Show at Season 3, Episode 15. And as we near the end of November, this season is absolutely up and running with some wonderful guests. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode a day uh, podcast week. Really enjoyed that one. And today we're back to our Friday slot and we're back to another amazing guy in the shape of Mr. Danny Lloyd. Thanks very much. What an intro. You're welcome. (laughs) Danny Lloyd, thank you for coming on the show. You're welcome. I'm excited to be here. Excited to have you here. And I've got, every time I chat to you, I've got serious beard envy. You just, you just wear it better than anybody else that I know. <laughs> Don't tell Emma that. She hates it. <laughs> so, um, well, let's start with the basics. Tell everybody who you are, what you're about. Right. Okay. Um, my name's Danny, obviously, as you said. <laughs> um, I guess I'd say I'm a, I'm a double stroke survivor is my sort of backstory, I suppose. But there's a lot more like other health things piled on top of that. Um, but they started when I was quite young, which caught me out because the first one they had was when I was 22 and I was like an avid sort of gym goer, you know, fitness obsessed with the gym and all that sort of stuff. Um, I really sort of got into it, Was felt like I was going somewhere with it. And then six months after like a competition in your speedos, one of those competitions. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This um, it's like an autoimmune condition, sort of swept in out of nowhere, and that sort of kicked things off. Then, um, and wow. at twenty two, it was like quite a shock to find out you'd had I had like a small stroke then, um, but it sort of manifested itself in sort of weird movements. I think the thing's called chorea. It's a bit like it's a bit like you sort of um like writhe around a little bit it's a, sounds a bit dodgy but it's um in your speedos just, danny yeah, yeah, yeah. you're sure you're not kind of pulling my plonker yeah. we are well being genuine aren't we <laughs> no 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 it is it is true it is a thing <laughs> um yeah it's just like you sort of can't control like fine sort of motor movements i suppose and at the time i was a draftsman on an old drawing board which probably didn't exist anymore okay so hold an ink pen when your fingers are fidgeting around all the time, <laughs> it's quite, um, well, the two things don't marry up particularly well. So it's like uh, kind of like spasms, was it, or something? Or, yeah, it was yeah. literally like the feeling. It's hard to describe. It's almost like if I stopped myself fidgeting all the time. You know when you sit and like jiggle your legs and stuff? Yeah. Which is like a lot of people do. Um, it was like that, but if that type of thing, but in my hands and even in my face and stuff, it was really, really weird. Um, and then if I tried to stop it, it was like the same sort of sensation as holding your breath. 
so you couldn't sort of stop yourself doing it and that was how I sort of ended up at the doctors and they found I had really high blood pressure yeah the condition I have basically over time it causes your blood to sort of thicken so it sort of goes more like soup and it's sort of joked about with people who've got it and that it's like I refer to it as like sludge blood it's like it's like you know the sort of stuff you you don't want yourself so you're certainly not going to be donating it to anyone either yeah. <laughs> um but sort of so that was like when I was younger and I could try to carry on the gym stuff but it was sort of never the same then I had like fatigue really badly and for a long time I kept, had this underlying fear it was going to happen again but it was there's no sort of cure for it but it's treatable fortunately so it was just managed like for probably getting on 18 years sort of okay and if I'm honest, I was a bit, took it for granted, I suppose. Um, carried on with other sports and things, which probably shouldn't have done because I was on blood thinners at that point. Um, but sort of did the old, oh, they said not to wrap myself in cotton wool. So I'll latch onto that part of it and ignore the rest of it. So I was doing judo and all sorts of stuff, you know, wow. which is probably, probably not the right thing to do. Like bearing in mind, <laughs> bearing in mind you're likely to bleed and bruise and stuff. Um, anyway then when not long well around the time we sort of first met I think it was a couple of years before that um I had I was sort of taken ill over Christmas and thought it was like a it must have been a virus and then New Year's Eve I collapsed in the bathroom and I actually had I found out later I had like a um like a blockage streak but because my blood pressure was running high unbeknown to me the artery behind the clot split so I ended up with like a hemorrhage streak which you can't like with a blockage if you're quick in a lot of cases the hospital can reverse it to break the clot and a lot of people do very well but because it was a hemorrhage obviously once it's bleeding it's sort of bleeding then mm. um, at the time I lived very close to the local hospital which was French A which was then a sort of brain injury sort of specialist hospital like a trauma unit so I got blue lighted in there early hours of New Year's Day great start to the new year um and then it sort of sort of unraveled from there really I guess because the natural thing for the hospital to do is reverse your blood thinners which I didn't know and I don't think they obviously didn't in someone with the condition it causes the immune system to overfire so they reversed it to stop the bleeding, which then kicked my in, my immune system in, which led to this like catastrophic variant, it's called, which then is <laughs> quite a list. I ended up with, I had the brain sort of injury going on from the stroke. Yeah. I had kidney failure, adrenal glands failed. Um, and then they started getting on top of that. And then where they sort of tried to drain basically the, the bleed and take the pressure off the brain. I then contracted a brain infection, a bit like meningitis type of thing, I suppose. And it it just sort of snaked. Every time I was going forward, something went backwards. And in the end, I was in hospital from 1st of January until the end of June that year. So wow. literally a full six months. That was three months as like an inpatient. We were like having medical treatment and then three three months in like a rehabilitation unit. Um, I mean, I when you hear the word catastrophic, 
that's never going to be a good thing is it no, no that's right no it's not no and i and i think to like add to it like the, the, i was very fortunate that the doctors i had were fantastic um and i think a lot of it was like a learning curve for them because the catastrophic type is like a <laughs> typical me is so rare that it that i think at the time they'd only been recorded about 350 cases like worldwide like ever obviously there's been more but they weren't picked up i suppose wow so there's no real like treatment protocol sort of what do we do it's sort of all a bit trial and error i suppose but you know for whatever reason <laughs> i got through it and here i am you know i, I make notes as you may have saw like yeah. as we go through so i really admire my guests who share their story their lived experience especially with such humor as you do and i'm on to my third page of notes already so really? there's got to be a book in you somewhere danny for sure well funny you should say that with um i've written a couple of chapters didn't i with four did for um nikki marshall yeah and the first book i was involved with i was quite flattered to be involved basically told what i just said like in a bit more detail yeah second book i did or second chapter was a men's sort of, um, you know, overcoming mental health problems and stuff like that. Yeah. Because as a teenager, I had, I know you're very familiar yourself. I had got diagnosed with general anxiety disorder. That's um, right, yeah. As like a teen. Um, I just thought I was a worrier. I just thought I was one of these like people who worry all the time. And I think for me, it, from what I remember, it triggered when I left school at 16, when you could do that. I literally went straight into work mm. and I think the sudden change in that um didn't really know what I wanted to do sort of drifted into something I think sort of kick-started it a bit um and then sort of I was like that for a long time didn't really understand it just thought it was just how I was like just like a warrior sort of thing and then eventually I had this diagnosis and ironically I think I've said to you before before I was actually ill you know, this whatnot when I just described it for a couple of years prior to that, like personal issues and bits and pieces, relationship stuff. I was in like some sort of anxiety, depression, think I, I think I had some sort of breakdown myself. Yeah. Le leading up to that. So I think I'd hammered my immune system so much over that period of time. Um, and it, there's no known sort of reason, no definitive reason. For why that catastrophic thing kicks off you know and i think part of it was because of what the, happened in the hospital with them un unknowing but a lot of it was i think you know i was I'd been stressed for about two years which is probably why i had a virus and all these things sort of pile up really i guess mm. but, um yeah, yeah thank and, you for sharing that is i was trying to remember this morning kind of um when i was getting my cup of tea ready for the show because i like to do that um i I was trying to remember where we first met because I couldn't recall whether it was at Nikki Marshall's Discover Your Banks uh, conference in, in Bristol um, or whether it, it was when we were doing the Headway Walk, um, charity walk from Plymouth to Bristol. Can you remember where we first crossed paths? I, th I think it was, there's actually Emma met you first because she was attending Headway herself then because that's, that's our other... Right our weird backstory that me and Emma, my partner for everyone, we've both got brain injuries. So, says she has suffered hers for an accident. So on paper, we laugh about it. Two people 
sharing a house both with brain brain injuries of one description or another doesn't sound necessarily good but it sort of it just works because you sort of understand it and yeah. fortunately we she fills in the bits i struggle with and i can do the same the other way around Amazing. so it just it just sort of works really but i think she was in at chew valley lake with headway that's right and yeah guys, that's right that's it and you guys walked there and i think she met you and mark there yeah uh, and actually emma and mark both i would love to get on the show so i must uh, ask you to remind me yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. i think again but i love the fact that actually like and and all of that adversity that actually something like absolutely beautiful has come from that as well obviously in terms of your relationship but mm -hmm. For those who are not aware, because obviously Mark hasn't been on the show yet, my, my good friend Mark Brimson, um, he is an ambassador for Headway Bristol, um, a brain injury organisation, and uh, he uh, lost his wife, and um, if she would have uh, recovered from, from how she was lost, and you'll hear about that in due course, she would have gone to Headway for rehabilitation. Now, because of that, he decided to do this charity walk from Plymouth Argyle Football Club uh, in Devon, to uh to bristol rovers football club in bristol for those who are not who don't know it's a long way um <laughs> and uh, i think it worked out about 130 140 miles over the space of a week and uh me being me when he said do you want to do this yeah let's do it thinking it sounded so much easier when you had your dressing gown on your slippers thinking yeah we'll do that next year that'd be great um, and we we did this charity walk and it's such an amazing experience and you'll hear more about that when mark comes on the show but I've, I kind of remember so vividly that kind of moment where Chew Valley, actually, where Danny just mentioned that um, it's, a, it's a local kind of beauty spot, uh, lakes and stuff. And we were coming over the hill uh, up from Somerset in towards Bristol. So they're kind of like coming onto the last leg of that, that kind of journey. And we didn't know this as the walkers. We didn't know that. But as we come round, we just saw couple of minibuses turned up and some amazing people there to kind of welcome us and support us and and kind of cheer us along the way and of course Emma was one of those people uh, that was there and I know you mentioned that kind of remember that so clearly mm. um that was such an emotional point for everybody for for them for us it just felt such a very huggy moment man I've missed hugs over the past 18 months um but yeah so actually from from that point that's kind of where our, our world started to collide because obviously through that I attended the Headway Ball in Bristol and and had the pleasure of having a night out on the Raz with you both. Um, you're far more energy than I, I would trust me. Um, <laughs> and then we had, so you had the pleasure of sharing a stage in Bristol as well, didn't we? So for Nikki Marshall's Discover Your Banks event, that was the first time I heard about your story. Um, and I just thought it was so powerful. And I'm sure people that are listening to this right now, will that will really resonate with people how easy has it been for you to share that story with an audience um, um, and, and also is that something that you've always had confidence in doing or again is that something that you've learned along the way no um i guess i didn't i never had any experience of sort of public speaking as such i suppose the only time was anything like that was in my job where you sort of put on the spot in like in the boardroom type of thing, you know, and sort of you, you'd have to think on your feet a little bit or on your backside sitting down, um, <laughs> you know, Oh, what do I do here? So that was it really. And I, I think 
hadn't sort of done a lot. And yet it's funny you ask that because I thought about telling my story, you know, a while back, you know, just for people who might be struggling just to sort of with a sort of message. If I can do it, you know, anyone can do it really. Um, and I know initially it really worried me that if I was trying to tell my story, whether I would, you know, find it too emotional to do. Yeah. You know, and I, and I did think I would be like that initially. And then, you know, through for yourself, through different people, you know, I did your speaking academy. Yes. <clears throat> excuse me, in, in Bristol before, which is very good. And I sort of done little bits and pieces sort of along the way. Um, and then gradually that sort of, I know, over emotion, fear sort of, um, sort of fell out of it really because I think the sort of message and the point to it is sort of bigger than the sort of like how you sort of feel about it well you know it wasn't so much <laughs> I was bothered about the emotional part it's that being over emotional like the yeah, last yeah. thing someone wants to do is see someone who starts crying his eyes out you know <laughs> and can't understand what he's <laughs> we're sort of saying and, and actually I, it's interesting that you, even despite what you shared today on the show that after spending a day of you doing these interactive exercises, there's so much more of Danny Lloyd that actually that's that's actually even out there, isn't it? Mm. You've got a lot more stories along the way. You, mm. you kind of alluded to kind of relationships before yeah. uh, and what life is like now and where it's going and uh, and positive and negative. You shared all those experiences, um, and it does take a lot of control in that emotional well-being. But you did it so brilliantly, and, and I think what you do is you. You empower people through your lived experience. I've said for a long time that lived experience is the perfect vehicle to get people from that point of having a problem to the solution, but it's not the solution. And I think that when we start to recognize our part in that, we can we can manage ourselves a lot better emotionally because we know we're not trying to fix everybody. How have you found that with your role with the Stroke Association? Um I that you are obviously a champion, you are somebody to inspire people, but I know you're a humble guy as well, and that won't sit well with you. <laughs> no, I, I think, I was just, just thinking that, as you were saying, actually, that was one of the early sort of presentations I did, um, was actually to a group of teachers um, over in Newport. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that, that was really good because the Stroke Association, as an ambassador, they provide you with um, like a what do I call it, like a template, I guess, of a presentation. Okay, yeah. And, they, and it's sort of, you know, the sort of facts and numbers and what happens and those sorts of things. It's you know, really good. And then you can either sort of stick to the script, if you like, or they encourage you if you've got, like, your own story to yeah. sort of bring that into it. And I think the standard one has, like, other people, like, nationally who've told their stories – there's been a few adverts on TV from the Stroke Association in recent years. Yeah. You had the sort of option of, you know, pulling those out of it and telling your own story sort of thing. Yeah. So yeah. I've done a couple of times, um, which has been very good because I suppose no one knows your own story quite like yourself, quite like <laughs> yourself, really. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that's been quite good. Good. It's good for you, mate. And obviously you shared kind of where you come from. What, what does life look like right now uh, for you, for for Emma? What's life look like right now? Brilliant. I, I actually, despite all that stuff, which isn't the most positive thing, but brilliant. I can't, can't fault anything, really. There's like nothing I wouldn't change in a weird sort of way. I don't know if you feel like it now, 
that I'm sort of happy it happened, which might sound a bit odd. I get that. Because I think, I think through all that, you find out what you're actually really about. And like either, well, classic, you know, <laughs> corny statement, if it doesn't break you, you know, it does literally, you know, make you stronger and pull things out of you. And I think, you know, recently I've even had it, um, if I re- rewind a bit, when I was in the rehabilitation centre, they yeah, talk yeah. a lot about um, if you don't, or what you sort of regain and where you get to, you have like a two-year window. It's sort of encouraged or sort of stated a lot. And for me, because I was quite motivated anyway, um, that was sort of a stressor because I had this fixed idea that if I didn't get to where I wanted to be within those two years, I was stuck sort of thing. Um which actually isn't the case at all. And I realised afterwards, I think they do that to keep people motivated, perhaps who aren't motivated. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm sort of completely the other way. And like friends and people I speak to now, you know, who've helped me with lots of things, constantly say to you, you need to be like, you need to rein yourself in rather than like be pushed along. Um, and I think that sort of um, was like a big part of it for me. Are you truly being heard in life, in education, in business? Your ability to deliver any message with clarity, power and emotion will have an ultimately defining impact on your success, personally and professionally. Forging People, founded by Nick Elston, is an online community developed to empower, inspire, engage and educate you to truly step up. Complete with online courses, early access to in-person coaching and events, free resources and a community of like-minded people, Forging People will help you manage anxiety, boost confidence and give you the tools to speak to any audience, whether it's one person or one million people. Speaking is more than just standing on stage. Speaking is business. Speaking is leadership. Speaking is influencing. Speaking is life. Contact Nick's team today on PA at nickelston.com or visit nickelston.com today to register your interest. This is the sign you've been looking for. Sorry, Do you think it's that kind of competitive edge, that competitive sports yes. person in you? I, I think it, it is definitely something like that because when I was in the rehabilitation centre, there was like a small sort of gym there for sort of, um, sorry, someone's fitting a carpet next door if you can hear a bang. <laughs> That's okay, no worries. Um, <laughs> we yeah, we don't can... edit on it, we'll keep that in. Pop <laughs> in and say hello if you want, it's not a problem. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it was, I suppose that competitive thing has always been there. And when I was in rehab, there's like a little gym there. And I was always sort of there on time, you know, ready to go sort of thing, whereas other people you know different backgrounds different like different affected differently i suppose sort of always found it like a chore whereas i was used to that sort of thing and then the thing for me was the frustration because like fortunately i didn't really lose any cognitive function Mm -hmm. mine was all physical like my balance is shocking um so i remember being so frustrated that i was sort of in a room with people who you know, it sounds really mean, but some of them did not know their own names and had forgotten their families, couldn't remember their own children. It's really sad, really. Yet for a long time, I suppose, 
I, I ignored all that and was sort of like just purely thinking about myself, I guess. And there yeah. was a guy there um, who I became good friends with in his family. And he had all sorts of cognitive problems. Yet physically, he was fine. You know, he, he could do all this stuff. Yeah, I was sort of sat there literally from sitting. You had to learn to sit from sitting down to stand up like something we all do. And you take, it's amazing what you take for granted. Mm. And he could do it. And I couldn't. And that used to drive me absolutely nuts because I, you know, in, in my thinking, I think this guy didn't even know his, his own name half the time and his own family. And yet he can stand up and sit down and I can't. And to me, logically, that made no sense. Um, and I had a similar experience when I was discharged and um, headway was suggested to me early on. I went for about a year, I think, which I was a bit reluctant to start with. And then I sort of did get a lot of benefit from it at the time. But I went the first time I went was to just sort of view it. And it was in the summer and they had a barbecue and we're playing cricket um, at Hambrook. I know that wouldn't mean much necessary to a lot of people. Um, and I remember going along, sort of being really sort of a bit embarrassed, a bit self-conscious and looking at people there thinking, I really don't fit in with these people. You know, they're nothing like me, you know, and I'm sort of almost judging them, I guess, which is, you know, it, it is wrong. But then they said, oh, why don't you join in? And I was like really, really reluctant thinking, I don't want to do this. Um, bit sort of, you know, I'm too good for this, I suppose, that sort of feeling. And then they said, why don't you go wicketkeeper? So I did. And then <laughs> really quickly, I was like knocked off my high horse pretty fast because the first ball come in, it's probably hilarious to watch it. You know, if you're someone watching it, the ball come in, the batsman missed it as expected. And it just rolled past me. And I almost fell over turning around to go after it. And I remember trying to, trying to initially wanting to run to get it. And I couldn't. And then I remember trying to walk even quickly and almost fell over. And then by the time we got to pick this ball up and turn round, the guy who'd missed it ran about four times. <laughs> and I remember turning around thinking, no, I do. I do exactly fit in, you know, fit in here. You know, like, what was I thinking? Yeah. And it was like a real yeah. sort of slap down, I suppose. And like a reality check. I've had a few of these. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how in, in this month, especially where we kind of celebrate men's mental health awareness in November, how much of, of being a man and being an Ulfa guy as well, somebody who's a bodybuilder, weight trainer, um, competitive sports person, how much did that kind of contribute to that feeling of like, well, this isn't me, that kind of stuff? Is it? Did that play a part being a, being a man having to uh, kind of navigate those adversities? Oh yeah, definitely. You know, you know I was never. I guess I've always been, I've never been like a bragger or anything like that, but I suppose, I'm oh, sorry, the cat's making a racket now. Got You've got carpet, beautiful cats as well. Car carpet guy and a cat. What could be better? <laughs> One of my few memories from being on Instagram uh, was uh, was pictures of your cat. So they oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. He's, he's quite vocal. Um, yeah, I suppose it was, like I've never, never been into that sort of, you know, showing off, like showy type of thing. But I guess, you know, from another point of view, I knew what I was capable of, sort of thing. And I've, as you sort of you know, alluded to earlier, where I've always pushed myself and been able to, because I couldn't do that, mm. you know, in the context I was used to, that was like really, really difficult. 
Yeah. And I yeah. think that was one of the hardest things. And what I've had to learn over time and a really good friend of mine, he's a support worker, but we've become like really, really good friends. Um, sort of got into my head for ages. I was sort of stuck in the woe is me type of thing, I guess, you know, I can't do all these things, all this sort of stuff I did. And he sort of almost in, in like one conversation sort of knocked that out of me really, because he sort of said, you know, you keep focusing on these things you can't do, but there's probably a million things you can't do, but there probably was a million things you couldn't do before you had a straight, you know, why don't you focus on the millions of things you can do? And I never even considered thinking of it that way, right? Until that point. Um, that. Yeah. And, and then, so that's what we've done ever since, you know, certain things, even at the gym, like I, still, I go to the gym store, like I go five, about five times a week, a bit obsessive. Right. Um, but, the things I do there are different to what I used to do yeah. because I can't do things that require a lot of balance and coordination and stuff like that. But, you know, gyms are big places and they get getting better all the time. Yeah. So you just find the things you can do. And, you know, literally in recent months, having said that about the two year thing, everything sort of fell into place where I actually had like a, let's look at a ha moment, a couple, literally a couple of months ago thinking, I've actually got like a really nice balance now with what I do, what I don't do um, in terms of the gym stuff, you know, my, my home life, the things I do. I started doing Tai Chi um, early on in my recovery. What's um, Tai Chi? Part of my naivety? No, no. It's actually, I suppose a lot of people think of it alongside yoga and stuff like that. Okay. Actually, um, there's different sort of, how it's thought of here and this is exactly my understanding of it it was exercise for old people is how is what i thought it was really boring of, of like no interest to in me at all i love your honesty mate it's, it's so refreshing to have the humor involved in this in these conversations a um clinical psychologist actually when i was in rehab he knew my, my background in judo and bits and pieces and at that point i was convinced i would go back to it they're completely deluded um, and this psychologist wasn't a physiotherapist, anything like that. He said to me, I think I've got some of that you might really like with your judo background. Um, and he discovered it because he'd done karate for years and got injured. And while he was injured, he started practicing it. And when he, when he suggested to me doing Tai Chi initially, I was really offended. And I was acting like a spoiled brat. And I said to him, I said to him, I'm not effing doing exercise role, people, you know, and I sat there and he said, calm down, calm down. Let me try it for five, 10 minutes and see what you think. If you don't like it, we'll forget it. And I had to wait for him, like, bless him. He'd finished his shift and he did it in his own time after he'd finished work. And I was sort of marching up and down thinking he's late. If he's not here in a minute, I'm going, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Then he came. and I was like, oh, he's showed up. I'm going to have to go through with it now. And I did. And within five minutes, I thought, this is brilliant. And I've, I found a teacher local who's ironically, his son had suffered a brain injury years ago. So he had sort of experienced okay. himself of it, which is, again, another weird coincidence. But he's, yeah. he's so dedicated to it. And that's what he does as his full time sort of job. Amazing. Um, and I've done it ever since. I've been doing it like eight, about seven, eight years now. And it's completely changed, like changed my life, really. So I do that alongside the gym stuff. Yeah. Sort of 
keep the principles of both going, I suppose. Because when I went to see him at first, I could barely stand up in his sort of, because he teaches from home in his lounge. I remember leaning against his lounge wall. Whereas now I can do you know, parts of, they call it like the form, which is like like a dance, I suppose. Like, right. You know, go through those routines and things like that. And the principles, I practice things most days, I suppose. But completely changed, changed like my outlook. And I found out since it's actually, you know, a martial art and a, a guy who's, you know, in the sort of style it is, is, is a family sort of um, lineage. And one of and the, <clears throat> excuse me, the son of the like, you know, grandmaster, as they call them, he comes to uh, England, um, well, before the pandemic every year for a yeah. week. And I've met him and you know, trained with him with a class. But he, um, unbelievable, when you see it done, you know, as a martial art, you, I've never, never, I would never have believed that's what it was about before. It's like, you know, like the Shaolin monks and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. Looks like that when it's done properly. It's, um, and I've seen this particular guy do things, one in particular to a six foot doorman that I, I wouldn't believe uh, <laughs> that you couldn't even see what he did. And to this day, I've heard through this guy's <clears throat> friend, he still can't work out what he did. <laughs> and thinks really? he still thinks he was tricked. And the guy is going to be doing my research on this. This, this sounds fascinating. It, it, is, it is good. Everything that you're, you're mentioning, kind of in terms of uh, what you love to do, how you've recovered, what you support, the and kind of your causes and stuff, they're all based around community. Obviously, we're we're currently as we record this in October. Uh, we're currently at the <clears throat> point where lockdown has been kind of released. But how has the 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 last eighteen months been for you, especially from a lockdown perspective, when so much of your positive kind of recovery and recharging time comes from community um right sorry i'm laughing so you sort of know what, what i'm going to say um right at the beginning when they sort of had the feeling lockdown was going to come myself and emma um well emma and i as you're supposed to say we um <laughs> it's we, me mate I, we can just talk as openly as you want and improperly as you want you're good you're good no apologies needed <laughs> We decided we were going to sort of start doing it about a week, two weeks before it actually happened. Yeah. Um, and because Emma's like me, like with the gym and her fitness and stuff, and she'd got into rowing, um, which she now does on the water, which is, I find amazing that she sort of does that with a club. But right at the beginning of lockdown, when people were panicked by <laughs> panic buying toilet rolls and all this sort of stuff. That's the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's it, all that. Yeah. Emma, Emma came in and said, Oh, I've just panic bought something. And I said, "What have you bought? A rowing machine." <laughs> and she bought That's this. a really good show. Yeah, she yeah, yeah. And she bought this like the, this like real high quality <clears throat> rowing machine that you get in gyms and stuff. And it was like it was actually like you say, turned out a brilliant shape because almost the next day you couldn't buy one anywhere, and she had actually secured it and it came, and. To her credit, she I think she used that every day over that like full lockdown. And I think partway through on her anniversary of her accident, she rode a marathon, which took her about three hours and 58 minutes. I, I always say four hours, but she always corrects me because it's two minutes under. <laughs> and wow. she 
I think overall, because it like records the meterage you do, she did almost two million meters or something. <laughs> which I can do about five minutes and I think that I've had enough of that. <laughs> I don't know how she does it really. But so, and I had some sort of stuff here, you know, a couple of kettlebells and things like that. Yeah. So we just sort of made do and we're quite lucky we've got a patio area. Yeah. So weather was quite good in, on some days. So yeah. I just sort of sort of kept things going, like ticking over really. Yeah. Um, for you. Yeah. It was sort of like that. Um, and because of, you know, my family and we've got friends around who are really good. Yeah. Because, you know, if we needed anything, there was sort of no problem with that. You know, so if any of them are watching, thank you. It was appreciated. <laughs> Um, absolutely yeah, no, thank you so much for sharing that yeah I just sort of kept occupied really yeah good for you I, so, I, read, I read a lot as well I read a lot which I never used to do everyone's got bookshelves on, on Zoom calls and stuff I want to make sure you actually do read these books and I'm just... <laughs> oh, yeah I do yeah, yeah. Although, <laughs> although for a while I've actually curbed it I did have a habit of uh, this sort of compulsive book buying where, <laughs> where I would think oh that sounds a good book and I start reading it <laughs> and then I get like a few lines or a chapter into it and it'll talk about a particular subject. And I think, well, oh, that sounds interesting. So then I'd order that book. Yeah. And then the book would come and I start reading that one. So oh, I've, no. probably got, I've probably got hundreds of books with about a chapter that I read and nothing else. You and me both, mate. I've got magpie syndrome when it comes to that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 I get that. Yeah. Um, mate, thank you so much for being on the show. The, the question I ask every guest. Uh, that comes onto the show is this. So I'm going to set the scene. I'm now the MC of the O2 Arena in London. Yep. 20,000 people paid their hard-earned money to come and hear you, Danny Lloyd, deliver your yep. keynote talk. You're kicking back in the green room. You hear your walk-on music kick in, that song that motivates you, that lifts you, that gets you at peak yep. state. Danny Lloyd, what would that track be and why? The track for me is a recent find, actually. is called How Do You Like Me Now by the band called The Heavy. Yeah, I don't know, you know? yeah, I know. It's actually yeah. on one of my playlists for my stuff. Really, really, yeah, yeah. And I've I'd never heard of it before. I never heard of them, and I can't even think where I first heard it. Probably pinched it from you. Now you said that. No, if it's a right, you know, if it's the right, if it's the the same track as I'm thinking of, it may not be. But actually, the original is a, a country track, which is where it comes into my world. Okay, uh, that makes sense. Like, yeah, it probably is actually. Yeah, how do you like me now? By uh, no, it's gone. Anyway, yeah. check it out. Great, great track, and that along with everybody else's will be on the playlist available at the end of the season. So stay tuned for that. Oh, nice. How do you like me now, Danny Lloyd. Big round of applause. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> Thank you for an absolutely great guest. Thank you for giving up your time to be on the show. And excited, we're going to get Emma on. We're going to get Mark <laughs> on as well. And that really contribute a different dimension to your story as well. But. Hand on heart, I love the way that you share what you share. You share it with with humour, with, with honesty and transparency. It's completely unfiltered. And for anybody who's first met Danny today, what you see is what you get. I guarantee you what you see is what you get when you meet in person. So thank you. Um, and all the very best. And we'll catch you again very shortly. But for everybody else, uh, please stay tuned for the next episode. Next Friday, we have an amazing lady doing wonderful things in the shape of Lucy Cohen. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Do hit like and subscribe and all that jazz. And in the meantime, take care, be happy, and stay well. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. And that's a wrap. A big thank you for tuning in to today's episode. 
please do leave us a like and hit subscribe for the fantastic upcoming episodes that I will be bringing to you featuring more amazing guests. But for now, be well, be happy, be safe. And remember, as I always say, it's what you do next at Kanks. Until next time on The Nick Elston Show, take care. I'll see you soon. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye.